Finding this podcast magical? Why not toss a coin to your Witches and a Druid podcast through the Acast supporter feature? It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to show your support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Three Witches and a Druid Podcast. Canadian podcast about paganism in today's modern society. Hello again, and welcome back to Three Witches and a Druid, where we sit around in the Zoom meeting and talk about modern paganism and our experiences with that. I am Margot. And I'm Gwen. Maeve. And I'm Brian. This episode, we've actually been asked to discuss our experiences or associations with being pagan and feeling marginalized because of that. Have we had any experiences where we have felt that our disclosure of being pagan has affected us negatively? And then beyond that, how has that affected us within the healthcare system as well here in Atlantic Canada? This was presented to Gwen, I guess. Yeah, I was asked to give a bit of a presentation on the pagan experience sort of thing. This is for students getting a certified spiritual care practitioner qualification. And they're to acquire knowledge of world religions, spiritualities, cultural traditions through experiential and conceptual learning. So in other words, get out and get your hands dirty as well as read some books and to develop some cultural humility and competency through learning about cultural safety, human rights, that sort of thing. People don't realize this, but often... Uh, religions are on the forefront of these social justice type things. So they've picked up this point in history and realizing that people are really concerned about marginalization and they're wanting to incorporate that. And I think it's really wonderful to be asked to speak about our experience as pagan, being non-majority faith group, how that has affected us within the society. And then when we interact with government and specifically for these spiritual care practitioners within healthcare. So they did have have some suggested questions and I'm really curious to hear what other people's experiences are or if you have some stories from friends or family. One of the things they were wondering on the general basis is what are some of the most common misunderstandings of pagan beliefs and practices in Atlantic Canada? Without even putting any thought into it, it's the satanic thing. Yeah, that's always right. That was the first story I thought of was when you were the property manager here. Somehow it got discussed in the office after one of the maintenance folks had been into my apartment. Somebody mentioned that I was a Satan worshiper. That's right. I'd forgotten that story. <laughs> 
And your response was, have you looked in her apartment? What do you think she worships? Yeah. <laughs> Not a Satan nope. in sight. <laughs> Just mermaids everywhere. <laughs> Just mermaids, yeah. The unfortunate thing is a lot of pop culture does that. And it still happens today. Yeah. There's a TV show, Sabrina the Teenage Witch on netflix and it's from a pagan point of view it's it's really frustrating because there are witches and they worship satan none of it makes any sense like satan is very much uh, it's a christian deity it has nothing to do with paganism it has nothing to do with witchcraft it's frustrating and he has even less to do with druidism oh yeah we have such a huge umbrella of traditions and that one sort of idea just gets overlaid on everything some archetypal pan or hern and kernanos you know some sort of horned god figure ends up on somebody's altar it's all of a sudden you know an idea that we're all satanists and i mean there is this tradition of those grimoire based witchcraft traditions in britain that have percolated through the societies at the turn of the century and that sort of thing and they were the chaos magicians and mystic societies and that sort of thing. And they maybe played with that, you know, the, the Christian world construct and the idea of demons and hierarchies of angels and all that sort of thing. But to overlay that on an entire family of pagans is unfair. And it's simplistic even to apply it to Golden Dawn people or whatever, to just say out oh, now that they're Satanists. It's super simplistic and narrow viewed, but to have to go through that conversation conversation yes all the time yeah yeah i've kind of given up having those conversations you know for years you're explaining yourself and explaining yourself and explaining yourself and now it's people like what and i'm like yeah you know we're just kind of a religion and leave it alone because a, a lot of it too that the whole you're a childish flake mm. it's like i've gotten to the point where you think what you want child is now old enough that I don't have to worry about little kids not being allowed over to my house anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because yeah. of what people think. I mean, if someone asks me about it, I will certainly explain anything and everything. I'll sit with them, whatever they want to know. Mm-hmm. If people are criticizing, I do not feel the urge to defend myself anymore. Yeah. That's just where I am in life. But it is very much the whole, you're a flaky, hippie, you know, not grounded in reality kind of person. You get, I think you get that a lot of the time. You're just some kind of weirdo. Yeah. And I'll maybe apply, you know, the concept of magic and that living in an enchanted world where there are land spirits and there are, you know, like that sort of whole part of the cosmology that probably in one form or another, to some degree or another, covers 99% of the pagan traditions. If they don't believe in this, they still have an element of that. But the minute that comes out in a conversation, you're considered unsophisticated or stupid or, you know, don't you know that that's just story or or all these sorts of things. And you're thinking to yourself, have you read anything about quantum entanglement? Do you understand that we're not in a three-dimensional world and all these sorts of things, but I'm the dummy, right? But I'm the dummy because I think consciousness is fundamental and is not attached to my body, but can exist beyond the manifest world. But you cannot explain to somebody if they don't understand it, they're not curious about the world. They're accepting of materialist worldview. They're 
accepting of the fact that if you see it and touch it, that's all that exists. There's nothing else you can do. That's the end of the conversation, right? Okay, I'm a dummy. You just have to go, okay, that's my thought on it. But I don't know. How does somebody else navigate that? Or a little bit, you know what? Why don't you go look up animism and some quantum physics and why? (laughs) (laughs) Unless someone wants to know the details, I don't even defend myself anymore. I just... Yeah. Now, a question that they gave me that comes out of that, because I think we kind of covered the main points, I feel, is... How have you and others who you know experienced prejudice, bias, or the impact of mainstream privilege? So have you felt sidelined because of this? For the most part, and we've talked about this before, even when you say, you know, I don't hide what I am anymore, I don't make excuses or apologies anymore, but sometimes you just go along to get along, I guess. Has anybody had any real prejudice, bias, or impact of mainstream privilege that's that's affected you? So personally, we're very open about being pagan. So I'd say that we haven't experienced any of that. But we know lots of people in the community who have, who have had child services called on them. A lot of questioning of people's abilities to raise children or form a family based on their quotation mark Satan worship. But personally, it hasn't happened to us. Actually, our, our Grove is very lucky in the sense that we have members in the military who have pushed for equal rights on cenotaphs and such, as well as we have a member of the Grove who's adopted and was very open about their paganism all through the adoption. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everything went swimmingly. I 100% believe prejudice and bias exists, but I feel that we're also moving in the right direction. Oh, I agree with you, Brian. I agree. And even this being asked to participate in this has been a a wonderful eye-opening experience to me that somebody even cares. Somebody even cares to maybe adjust how they provide services to people, right? I tend to agree with you. Now, one of the things they were wondering is, especially within healthcare, how are illness, disability, and death understood from the perspective of paganism? The one thing I thought of is, and I would say that's primarily fundamental Christians, and I, again, don't like to speak for other religions, but there seems to be this idea that the root of all suffering is Satan, right? And since we don't have a Satan, we have to dig a little deeper for our what causes suffering in the world. Where does undeserved illness or disability, what do we feel about death? So, so one thing uh, from the monotheist traditions is a lot of them view existence here on earth is a form of suffering. They're all about moving on to heaven or nirvana or to a better place where here for pagans, this is it. This is, you're living as close to the goddess as you can. Like earth is our goddess. So we don't view our normal existence as suffering other than of course paying taxes and and being poor on the rare occasion. But like our existence is in a sense our heaven. And I don't speak for everybody, of course, but a lot of pagans don't view existence as suffering where a lot of other spiritual paths do, which is a big difference between us and others. But in Druidry, we're big believers that you exist here on a material plane, you eventually move into the other world, the spiritual world, and then you enter into the Infinium, kind of to be recycled back into the material plane and be reborn or reincarnated or, or whatnot. There is the classical pagan idea that everything that happens to us is part of our journey and as horrible as it may be, and I have railed against it very seriously myself, 
it's part of your journey. It's part of the lessons you need to learn in this life. And, you know, eventually you will go on to the next life. And this is all just part of your journey through many lives in the cosmos, I suppose. I've had to accept that just sometimes shitty things happen to good people. Mm-hmm. You know, it just is. There's no one making it happen. Now, there are people who believe that if you did unpleasant things in a previous life, you are going to get your karma in this one. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, what did I do in the last life to deserve this kind of idea? It just depends on how you, how you wish to view it, because there is a little bit of that with some people. Yeah. It's part of the journey. But it is still based on sort of personal re- responsibility. Mm-hmm. What you give, put out, you get back. And personal accountability. You know, it's not, as Brian said or Gwen said, it's not some outside entity punishing us for our actions or making us suffer to prove that we're good enough to enter heaven or yeah just having this conversation i recall because you know i live in pop culture a few years back i watched this british series called the midwife set in post-world war ii britain and she's a nurse and she but she lives alongside an abbey or something like but she's interacting with this religious female order and the conversation comes up about why is there suffering the mother superior or whatever the title of the leader of the abbey to me she gave a very pagan response and she said God is not in the suffering. God is not in the event. God is in our response to the event. And I think that's a very pagan outlook to me in that we don't blame Satan or anything else. Like, And we don't have this idea of predestination and all those sorts of things that things, you know, you have to suffer, you're bound to suffer. This illness is a result of suffering imposed on you. Things happen in a natural world. Things are happening all the time. Where deity comes into it, where our spiritual path comes into it is how we respond to that. That's that personal responsibility thing. The deity is not causing it, but your faith will help you get through it. Yeah. Faith will help you get through it. We'll get through it. So, Brian, you kind of mentioned tonight. That's my understanding of surgery as a non-Grove member and all that sort of thing is that there's a possible chance at reincarnation. There's another world, an immaterial world where there is growth or whatever that can happen and, and it, consciousness continues to exist and then may possibly choose to reincarnate again, not right across the board, but reincarnation in some form is a very pagan yeah, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a, a Druid tenant, but the vast majority of Druids I know, that's what they believe. Right. Like I said, it's almost like a giant recycling machine. Yeah, that's an interesting. It's a terrible way to put it, but if you boil it down. Stardust. Yeah. Everything's stardust. Yeah, yeah exactly. We go back to it and come from it. Yeah. I remember one time being grilled really hard by somebody. I don't know if they were trying to bait me or whether they were seriously trying to understand but being really grilled about the idea of reincarnation and what pagan belief systems were overall and I finally just said to them look in the end it does not matter what I believe what I believe is not going to change what happens to me after I die so I don't need to explain to you or justify myself to you and make you understand where I'm coming from if I'm not even sure what that answer is. Yeah. I personally don't feel I need to know what that answer is because it's not going to change what happens. Right. Yeah. I think 
in the past, a lot of bigger, more institutional style religions, it was a control method. Like, you know, you know, the worry about the afterlife, you know. Oh, for sure. Oh, hell and purgatory. Pagan ethics are based on be a good person. Yes. Not, not an or else. The afterlife might be fun. It might be a recycling plant where I decide to come back. It might be the summerland. But as a whole, we're not living for the next life. We're living no. our best selves now. And we don't mean our best selves by Studio 54 or whatever. We're meaning our best selves. You know, we're trying to be. Yeah. Now you just totally aged yourself there. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> How many of our listeners are going to know what that means? Studio 89 now or 88 or yeah. however old I am, right? <laughs> And it was a way, I suppose, to explain a way, you know, the human condition and the human suffering that took place for thousands of years. Because life mm. life is still hard, but it's not as hard as it used to be. It was, yes. You know, you're suffering, you're suffering, but oh, you be meek and mild and, and do all this and trust in God and you're going to get to go to heaven and just live a beautiful life after this. Yeah. I, I think it was also a selling point. Yeah. Come join us. And this is what you'll yeah, get when right. you're finished. We guarantee this. Yeah, we guarantee this. You, know, you have to try to live a good life now because you know, there are some fields of thought that say, if you did not learn what you were supposed to in this life, you are going to have to repeat it in the next until you get it right. Yeah. So there, there's that idea too. But, you know, just just be nice for the love of Pete. <laughs> for the love of Pete, just be a good person. Love of Pete. Just be nice. Don't be a dick. Don't be a yes. dick. Yes. I, I was I was going to use fouler language, but you know we are on a podcast. That's okay. Love and just be freaking nice. So I've got a couple more questions, specifically healthcare related. What are some of the things that may contribute to feelings of exclusion or a lack of cultural safety within healthcare settings for pagan individuals and or families? Well, right off the bat, a lot of people may feel that if they inform anyone that they are pagan, that they may run into a doctor, a nurse, or a practitioner, which may feel an extreme religious side to it, where they may, I'd say, convert or maybe not care for the individual quite as much. Now, of course, a lot of that would be protected under Hippocratic Oath, and I don't think anyone would be that kind of evil, but history has shown as otherwise. I can confirm my husband's in the hospital right now as a part of an ongoing chronic thing. But 2016, when he had his crisis event, I'm on a podcast. I do this for work. And, you know, I try and, like so many people, not make religion my only point of contact in the outside world. But I am out there. So I'm not really ashamed to be out there or whatever. But he was in a critical position. I was in a vulnerable spot. He couldn't speak for himself. He couldn't advocate for himself. And when they're asking me questions to get him admitted. You probably second guessed a lot at first. And I'm grateful that I have so many spiritual connections. But there are solitary pagans that don't have the spiritual community that can come in or be supportive of me outside of the hospital. But you're in a vulnerable spot. You're terrified for your family member or yourself or your health. And you think, can I cope? I have had nothing but absolute professionalism from the people that I have dealt with Dave's care. And yet my first thing was to protect myself from any kind of retaliation because I wasn't mainstream. Right. That was not even a second in my head that I went through all of that 
and said, oh, no, don't worry about that. I feel a lot of the time those things not necessarily come from personal experiences. It's almost like that pop culture mentality. You see it on TV, you see it on various crime shows, and it sort of gets ingrained in our culture. Society isn't accepting of it, but at the same time, there's very little sign that says it's not. Yes. But it's enough to make you second guess. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know, like you say, they doctors have a Hippocratic Oath. And I have respected all of the professionalism in the people that I, and some of them are people of faith that I've dealt with over the years with this. But in that moment of vulnerability, I wasn't taking a chance. Another story that I have, my day slave job to quote Moore, author Christopher Moore, my day slave job is working in a hospital, just a clerk, right? I'm just a, a work clerk and I'm in the emergency department. And this is a few years ago. I'm working away at my desk at an emergency department and there's a big open work area behind me with healthcare professionals. And two residents, they are doctors, they still have the training list, right? And they come down from the floor for a very sick child and get the orders prepared, assess and get the orders prepared for the child to go upstairs. While they're finishing up that work, they're having a chat between the two of them about somebody else on the floor upstairs. And they make reference to the fact that they were about to let this child go home, but the family came in and maybe had like a sacred smoke type ceremony and they had some rocks, some crystals. There was some some ritualistic words spoken. What all came out of that is this was just happening as they were kind of leaving and they had been thinking about discharging that child the next day or whatever. And they said, well, we've contacted social work because we have a few concerns coming from a sacred smoke ceremony and healing ritualistic words said over crystals, etc. And I am sitting at my desk and I'm thinking, they don't pay you for any of this. They pay you to fill out paperwork. They pay you to take care of patient charts, close your ears, put your head down, get your work done. You know, there's patient confidentiality. I don't even know who this family is to possibly reach out for them and advocate for them because I wouldn't know who they were. And I can't go up on the floor and knock door to door and sniff out juniper smoke or whatever, you know. <laughs> so I was, I'd have to say, quite literally horrified. No, I would be too. That's astonishing. You know, I was like, I don't even know what to do with that. And as I look back, I think possibly I could have called the spiritual care person in the hospital and said, I overheard this conversation. I have concerns for these reasons. And it's really interesting. I spoke to my father about this and he said, 
they've gone through medical school, things are black and white possibly to these people. If it's not scientific, then it causes concern. They, they wonder what other, if you have quotation marks, magical beliefs, you know, what other poor decision-making. And I said, dad, they would not do that if that was a First Nations family. They would not have, they're very supportive. They would have got them something to put their smudge stick in, you know, all of those sorts of things. And he says, but they're racist. I'm like, what do you mean? They wouldn't have done it for a First Nations. And he says to me, and I think it's true, there's this systemic racism in a sense that if you're of another culture and you're doing a Shinto healing practice in the room, or you're this or you're that, you see people come in and say, oh, isn't that interesting? Isn't that whatever from their culture? But we are obviously people raised in a North American, very Cartesian world, you know, scientific-based world. So we should know better and if we don't, something wrong with us. There's something wrong with us in social services that are checking that kids are safe to go home with their friends. Right. I had never thought of it that way, but it is a form of systemic racism to look at us as pagans and think of us as being, oh, you're just so foolish to believe in this enchanted world, but it's okay for other cultures. Excuse me? Yeah. Well, I mean, pretend the priest was there. And they were doing the rosary or something like that. There's no difference. He's doing the rosary. They wouldn't have looked twice. Holding a string of stones, that rosary, and with an incense, they wouldn't have looked twice. But that's built into our Cartesian. They would have said, you know, that's a family traditional practice. But you're right. But for us, <laughs> I was sick and I didn't do anything because I mulled around and I thought it's patient confidentiality. And you know, there was a part of me and residents come and go and come and go. I didn't even want to turn around because I didn't want to see exactly who it was. Like, you know what I mean? I have to go into this place. I have to work. They obviously think I'm an absolute flake or if they had known, they would have thought I was maybe so they can't call social services. They might call, you know, um, HR resource <laughs> or, or maybe have, you know, somebody check in on this old broad that maybe she can't take care of herself. She's just got these crazy ideas. I don't know. Anyway, it was an experience. And I had pretty much thought we had, you know, especially with the new younger millennials coming up, there seems to be a much more pluralistic, they're more open. I really see with this new generation, a better, more socially just future. And I was shocked. There was two of them. It wasn't just one random person, but there was two of them and they were belittling and mocking and literally saying that the family, they were nervous about the family. Well, that, that's pretty sad to hear. Yeah. So, yeesh. Yeah. So now how do you feel about disclosing now that I say that, right? Now that I tell you my terrible story. I was going to say that it ties back to the, the first part of this conversation of disclosing where you believe that you're in the trusted hands of professionals. Wait, trusted hands of professionals, we're still human. Mm, yes. Yeah. Although I know in previous times, if I've ever been at a merge or going in for surgery or anything on the intake form, when it came to the religion question, I always said other. Oh. But I think the last time I went in, I did say pagan because I think I'm at an age where it's just like, I just don't even give a shit anymore. Yeah. <laughs> You're with us like me. You know, before I was concerned, concerned about what people might think of me or yes, might think I'm a flake or whatever. But now I figure I'm old enough. I'm confident enough. I'm sure enough of myself and my spiritual path that for me, I could write that. 
But I 100% understand, Gwen, how when it's somebody that's not you and somebody who is so important in your life, how you would want to protect that. The unfortunate thing is the only real solution to this problem is more people need to speak up and say, I'm pagan. Yeah. Yep. It was disclosed. Now, I, I haven't seen the physical paperwork yet, but apparently on the census, the Canadian census for 2021, it's going to have paganism, neo-pagan, druidry, and, and Wicca. Wow. It's never listed druidry or Wicca before. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. It has had uh, neo-pagan in the past, but it gets four different options for, for it this time. So That's really fascinating. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that uh, information. Like, I'm looking forward to what they do with that. Like, how many years are we going to have to wait for that part of the census to come back to us? I'm so right, right. excited. I'm not sure which box I'm going to check. <laughs> <laughs> a little column A, a little column B, eh? <laughs> Depends on what, what time of year it is, what kind of mood am I in? <laughs> so, just a couple more questions. One was... Are there religious, cultural, slash spiritual practices or supports that if you were in hospital, you would like, but you would feel uncomfortable asking for? Well, a slight side to this question. A few years ago, Nova Scotia Health had reached out to the Grove about creating small spiritual kits for individuals who were in the hospital that may be looking for support if they identified it as a druid. So we had provided, man, I think 20 little kits. I don't know whatever happened to them. They got distributed amongst hospitals. And I guess if you go to a hospital and you might be on your deathbed or you're in there for any length of time, you can request one of our little altars that we created. What was in these kits? For the Druid one, there was an Awen symbol, a little bit of sage to burn. It was a little amount of like moon water for a well. It was a little kind of like a fake tree because the tree wasn't going to live. Yeah. It was a candle for the fire. Right. Yeah. Perfect. And that shows us a real willingness on the part of the um, hospital chaplain. They like to call themselves spiritual care now more than anything. But to try and, and meet those needs, you know, people are uncomfortable asking for anything because they think, oh, they say, you know, do we have any services? Can we help you with anything? And you're uncomfortable to ask because you think, I don't need to get into the conversation that's going to take this much energy out of me when I'm so low on energy. You feel like you have to educate your spiritual care provider about what you need and I think of that as being one of the barriers is that feeling that you have to it's awesome that they have a kit because they could offer say we have virtual care kits would, would you find that helpful and I think probably a lot of people would I was wondering to sort of healing touch type modalities and stuff you'd be afraid even to ask for one of a better word a reiki practitioner or something like that to come in because you're thinking are they going to be open do they think that's woo woo and doesn't have place in a hospital i was thinking about things like sage and stuff that you burn you'd be afraid to ask for that possibly and it wouldn't always work some rooms have oxygen going or whatever it wouldn't be safe it would be interesting when they when you were talking about the little kits it was burning in my mind, you know, if you were, you know, pagan or a Wiccan or a witch or whatever. You could have a seashell and a crystal and maybe a pine cone and a little candle. You know what I mean? I'm, I got that in my head. I think that's awesome. I wonder where they are with those kits. Would they like more? Happily help with that. That's neat. 
To my understanding, they had reached out to a couple of different groups. Our job was to cover the Druid part, yeah. But nobody's touched base back with you. I wonder if nobody's followed up, if they did it and they've had a change of staffing or something, if they'd be interested. It's something we'll look into with the Assembly. I think the Pagan Assembly being an umbrella organization, that might be a, a good spot for them to do something like that. I like Maeve, a lot of those ideas, but is there anything else that you think people might ask for? I find the barriers are in our own heads. We're like, I can't deal with their reaction to that ask. So we stop ourselves before we even ask. It would be nice to maybe have, even if they didn't have a Reiki practitioner, you know, if you had some pagans or witches or something on staff, if they could say, you know, come maybe chant over you or you know or like rattle drumming is loud yeah you know to say you know can you get somebody in here to some rattling or that sort of shamanic sort of aspect of it yeah a little chanting with me sing a song i don't know we sing a lot yeah. right you know a lot of singing and sound therapy is a very good thing and i think just to have somebody available to come visit to even just sit and talk, somebody you don't have to explain yourself to, whether or not they are pagan themselves, someone you don't have to educate. On that note, and it's been discussed in the past, is end-of-life services for pagans in the hospital system, which I may be wrong, but currently is lacking. That conversation to be had with someone who may be facing the last moments of their life. Because mm -hmm. you can get last rites, you can get a priest or... I'm sure they have an imam or someone like that who would come in, or a rabbi, who would be nice. I think one of the things we think spiritual care practitioners, it says, what could spiritual care practitioners in a hospital do to provide support for pagan patients and families and to help foster a more inclusive and welcoming environment? You know, a lot of it is that fear. We don't want to have to educate somebody when we're going through a crisis of our own, even if they come with the best of intentions. How do they communicate to us that, you know, even if they have that knowledge and that willingness to make those connections or reach out to the pagans and bring somebody in for us or whatever, they have to be better at communicating that because a lot of people self-select for other or self-select for unspecified or unknown or whatever, mm -hmm. rather than take advantage of, you know, uh, services that are very beneficial when you're going through a crisis, whether it's your child that's going through something and you have to learn to deal with that or spouse or yourself. Maybe like the census form, the identifying section in the intake form, is it Christian, Jewish, Muslim, other, or is it just a blank for you to fill in? Yeah. If it has specifics, if there's an actual checkbox for pagan, rather than forcing people to write it down, they might be more apt to check that box. Yeah. I'm wondering. I don't know. Yeah, that is interesting. That And that's entirely possible. I know through registration with, within the emergency department, the system that they use there, if they get to the point where they ask, what's your religion? And I mean, sometimes it's such an emergency, you know, assuming yeah. you get the health card and the age and the specifics, you go right to it. But there is something close, 40 possibilities. Wow. I forget what A is, but there's an A all the way to right through to Zoroastrianism. Wow. Druidry and Wicca and I think pagan, generalized pagan, all rate a click. But we have different 
software than Nova Scotia Health. So I don't know what Nova Scotia Health has. And these people that I'll be speaking to tomorrow are in New Brunswick. If you make it easy, like you say, and they don't have to write in and it's easy, then spiritual care comes armed with that little bit of knowledge Yes, that they can reassure people right at the get-go. I know this you know, either I have somebody that would love to be able to chat with you or I can take care of that myself. Yeah. Make it easy to identify. Because that almost makes it more welcome to identify as well. Yeah, you don't have to go out of your way to identify yourself. It's just there. It does make it easier. Mm -hmm. I think that's very good. The Kind of the last question is, is there anything that you wish all non-pagans knew or understood? That we don't worship Satan. I was going to say that we're not devil worshippers. <laughs> yeah, our primary one is like, uh, not the Satan. Please, not the Satan. <laughs> Literally has nothing to do with that whatsoever. Yeah. I'm very surprised that you're two young doctors there that we're talking mm-hmm. I was about to say, you know, when, when we were talking about being nervous about identifying and all that, part of me was thinking, well, maybe that's just our age. Mm-hmm. Brian isn't, but we're 50 plus. And 25 years ago, we wouldn't have said that in a hospital. No. Now, you said you've experienced so much professionalism. People are more well-informed. Yes. But then you tell the story about the doctors and I figured, okay, there goes that story down. <laughs> Yeah, it was such a shocking thing to overhear. The other thing, too, is that we're not unintelligent flakes. Yeah. It's not like, well, this person's obviously a weirdo and we're going to have to you know, talk to them in a different way or something like that. It's like, you know, maybe this is a conceit of my own. But I think when you're a non-traditional, a non-mainstream religion, whatever, you don't get there without work. So often... For people who are in more mainstream religions, they grow up, it's a family thing. But if you're not growing up in a family, and I mean, now we have multi-generational, as we know, we've recently had our pagan parenting podcast. But I tend to think, and like I say, it could be a conceit of mine, that we are more educated about our religion. A lot of Christians don't know a history or they know the basics of some stories, but they don't know them all. They know they should be a good person. They know the golden rule. They go to church on Sundays and they know a bit, but I often find that if you're choosing something out of the mainstream, out of the sort of normative box, you've done research, you've really looked into it. And then to be treated like you're an idiot, you don't know what you're thinking. You're like, I think I probably know more about your religion. That's the truth. (laughs) Not just foolish, but ignorant or uneducated or, you know, all of those. It's funny to think like, Paganism isn't even the most difficult spirituality for the healthcare system. <laughs> There's lots of spiritualities out there that are very anti-science. Yeah. Paganism isn't one of them. Yeah. Oh, we're totally science. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Give me all the blood transfusions. Put them all yes. in me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely true. You know, the heart transplant for my husband, you know, like yeah. super grateful. And, you know, here we have this traumatic case with all of these things with Dave. And I credit modern science for the fact that he's alive, but without that other complementary part of my spiritual faith practice and the healing circles that were held and the shamanic journey that was done on his behalf when he was in a coma that retrieved him from that coma, we could very well have a very different outcome. And so I definitely see how faith has 
a very important partnership with healing and science and medicine in uh, healthcare. I think it has a really important part, but the fact that I have that shamanic healer on my side and I've had all these prayer circles and all those sorts of things, praying for Dave, that doesn't take away from the fact that he's only alive because of science. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. The difference is you recognize that. Yeah. Yeah, you do. If you're in a boat, you're on a river in a boat, you're floating along with the current, you have to put the oar in the water to make you go even faster. <laughs> That's yeah. incredible, Maeve. <laughs> the modern medicine is you in the boat going with the current. But I mean, you can get that spirituality out and make it go a little yeah. faster and row a little harder. <laughs> Get it going. So actually, that's something for your last question, is that sometimes there's a misconception that a lot of pagans don't believe science and magic work side by side, and they do. I don't know any pagans that don't believe in science. The gods only go with you if you put yourself in their path. You can get in that path and in that boat with science and your faith. The great thing about polytheism is that I'm sure if you look hard enough, you'll find a god or a goddess that's all about heart transfusions or whatever you'll find it there's enough of them mm -hmm. there are gods and goddesses of medicine yeah. in the greco-roman you have apollo who is the original doctor and bought medicine you know the, you know the catechist comes from paganism and the symbols and yeah all of these you know so you can find you know that to help with it awesome I appreciate this help with my homework. As you all know, I'm going to Cherry Hill Seminary. I have lots more homework. <laughs> I may hit you guys up again, but this really is helpful because they really wanted a community view of things. And I think this is going to be really helpful. Yeah. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Although one thing too, I was thinking as we were discussing all of this, again, we are talking from a place of privilege mm -hmm. where we have such a strong supportive community around us. Trying to think of these questions in terms of people who don't have that support system in place makes it difficult. Of course, yeah. You know, to find yourself in a position where you need these services and not have a support system to help you is why it's so important, I think, for yeah. this education to be happening. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm really grateful to have been able to be part of it. That's a really good point. Yeah. Because if, you know, if I was in the hospital and ill, I wouldn't have to ask the hospital for help. No. Somebody would call six friends and... <laughs> You know, everyone would be there, but it is, it will be a lovely thing once they, they're able to provide those things for people who don't have that support system, certainly. Yeah. Well, everybody, thank you very much for tuning in. It has been a lovely, lovely, lovely time. And if you have any questions or comments, you can certainly contact us on our Facebook group. And if you see any stars down there, give us five stars and, <laughs> and a like. Until next time, everybody, Mary Meet. Mary Part. Blessed be. This has been Three Witches and a Druid Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.